Thank you for joining us today with Cindy Sherwood's podcast, Words for the Journey. Today we'll conclude our three-part series on the victim identity. If you didn't hear part one or part two, I would encourage you to do so. They are all parts of this subject we're delving into, understanding the victim identity. Here's a quick review. In podcast part one, we learned we are good stuff, that we are not defined by the things that have happened to us, and we are not defined by our bad choices. We are defined by God, and He says we are just right. The way He created us was perfect for the life He made us for. In podcast two, we discovered what it looked like to be a victim. We learned about both the passive and the aggressive lifestyles of the victim and the false beliefs that drive those wrong identities and choices. I'm going to continue where I left off in part two. We now know what a victim is and that we don't want to be one anymore. But what do we put in its place? What's the new plan? For this next piece, we need to look at the Apostle Paul. He learned the secret and shared it with us in Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says in the NIV, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul says the new plan is sober judgment, and this is what sets the stage for self-acceptance. Sober judgment is accurate judgment. There are two components to self-acceptance. First, we need to see ourselves accurately, and then we need to accept what we see. A lot of us have a problem with self-deceit because seeing our shortcomings can be painful. We lie to ourselves and pretend they aren't true. Instead of sober judgment, we have the judgment of a drunken sailor quite impaired. Impaired judgment takes our life down the wrong road, one that doesn't end well. Hmm, we don't lie. We just conveniently leave out details or just make the story a little extra interesting. We aren't bad-tempered. It's just that everyone else is being annoying. We aren't lazy and undisciplined. We're just too busy to be responsible. We don't live wastefully. We're just trying to enjoy life. And on and on. We have an excuse for everything. Impaired judgment. Our impaired judgment is a form of self-protection. We protect ourselves from shame and guilt, from constantly feeling bad about ourselves. The problem with this strategy is that it leads us directly into the victim lifestyle. Impaired judgment encourages us to make victim choices, and victim choices lead to bondage. It messes up our life. Paul expresses how our sin deceives us in Romans 7:11. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, killed me. 
Paul said his sin deceived him and killed him. (laughs) Strong words. It's also possible we go the opposite direction from self-deceit by fully admitting our failings, accepting the lie that we are therefore condemned and worthless to God or anyone else. Satan loves that one. It renders our life impotent faster than anything else. To tear ourselves down and define ourselves as worthless is just as prideful and self-centered as the person who covers up their shortcomings and lives in denial. That was me. I thought I was being humble by thinking God couldn't use someone like me. I felt like an ugly stepchild to him. But God set me straight one day. He told me I wasn't humble at all. I was prideful. I was in essence telling him he didn't get it right when he made me. I was saying God wasn't sufficient to work in my life. (laughs) Well, that got my attention. Whether we deny our faults or let our faults rule our life, both are based on pride and rebellion against God. Neither one are truth. Both are saying, I know better than God. And that is pride. Paul was an amazing servant of God, truly sold out to his service. He didn't shirk from anything the Lord asked him to do. No matter what it would cost Paul, he knew God and believed God. Yet hear what he had to say about this struggle with sin and self-acceptance. Romans 7, 15-19 says in the New Living Translation, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Even Paul struggled to always do the right thing. So we're in good company. But the thing about Paul is that he's honest. He's admitting his weakness. He is not trying to sugarcoat the issue. He clearly sees where he's messed up. What we need to learn from Paul is that he was blatantly honest about falling short. He was seeing himself accurately. So why didn't that throw him under the bus? Because Paul knew the whole truth. He knew he wasn't defined by his sin. He was defined by God. And God said he was good stuff. As I said, self-acceptance involves two things. Seeing ourselves accurately and then accepting what we see. But seeing ourselves accurately also has two sides. Seeing the negative as we watched Paul acknowledge in Romans 7, and seeing the positive. Paul does this in several places in the New Testament. Here's one, Philippians 3, verses 4 to 6. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is the law, blameless. That may not be a list any of us would find impressive, but in Paul's day, he had it all. He came from the right family, 
chose the right profession, did the right thing, and did it all very well. If he wanted to be a boastful man, he had things to boast about. My point here is that he isn't minimizing his strengths. He is acknowledging the high points. But he isn't forming his identity around his positive attributes either. Paul has sober judgment. He admits his faults. He acknowledges his strengths. But neither form his identity. So what should form our identity? Let's take a look at something else Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12.11. The NIV says, I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. Paul knows he isn't less than any human being. In God's eyes, we are all equal. Of that, Paul is certain. He has this amazing balance of understanding his value while remaining humble. I am nothing, he adds. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul learned the secret. It's grace, a gift from God. Grace is so powerful, in fact. Grace is the power of God coming into our life and changing us. Paul received God's grace and was changed. That is how Paul could leave self-deceit behind and begin to live honestly. Yep, I've messed up more times than I can't count, and God has forgiven me. And that's not the whole story because I have gifts and abilities and a contribution to make to God's kingdom. And I can't take credit for anything because it's all a gift from God. If I accomplish anything for God's glory, it's because he is working in and through me. That is sober judgment. And sober judgment, when combined with the truth that God made us, loves us, and accepts us, opens the door for self-acceptance. This will only work if we know and believe the truth of God's word. We must read, learn, and study scripture so the truth can become part of us. It won't do us any good to clearly see our failings, if we don't know about God's mercy and forgiveness, how he cleanses us from our sin. And we'll just fall into pride when we acknowledge our gifts, if we don't understand that these things come from God, that he gives them to us. We never earn the gifts and abilities. We have to know the truth. Sober judgment is accurate and realistic thinking. Once we begin to see ourselves honestly with sober judgment, realizing the truth that we are all a mixture of pluses and minuses, then we need to go on to the second part. We need to accept what we see. Self-acceptance is agreeing with God that he did a good job in how he created me. We need to work at this with the help of the Holy Spirit, until we accept everything about our physical body, our height, weight, shape, coloring, our face, all of it. How many years have we spent hating certain physical traits, loathing what we see in the mirror, being ungrateful to God for his choices and how he made us? This is disrespectful and dishonoring to God. We need to stop dissing our bodies and accept how God has made us. 
For everything that God has made is good. No exceptions. It's the same for our gifts and abilities. We all have some, and no one has all of them. To wish we had abilities and physical attributes that we don't have is coveting. God tells us not to covet and instead be content with what he gives us. This requires trust in God, that he knows what he's doing and always has our best good in mind. I've had many disappointing and even humiliating moments in my life because I have no athletic ability whatsoever. I've tried golf, tennis, skiing, and other sports only to bomb out every time. I could spend my life resenting that reality and judging God for not giving me something to work with here. What would be the point? How would that help anything? Certainly not me, not my relationship with God. But he did give me the ability to write and speak. That's what he made me for. I just needed to find out what abilities he did give me and start using them. It took me a while. I really didn't fully use my gifts until I was in my 40s. It doesn't matter, though. At least I finally got there. What a joy to be operating the way God made me to operate. Yes, I love my work. I feel like I'm the most fortunate of all God's creatures to serve him in a way that is so enjoyable. Accepting ourselves, the good and the not so good, is hard work. We have to choose this. Other people will constantly invite us to slip back into self-loathing or prideful boasting. We have to work at rejecting those invitations. The best way to do that is to stand in the truth. God loves me, and he accepts me as I am. He has forgiven me, and I am his child. This is not a one-time effort. This is a daily effort. The negative barrage from the world never ceases. We have to actively stand firm against this torrent of lies and remain in the truth. When we find ourselves slipping back into our old ways, go back to the truth. Every time, go back. And why should we do this? Why should we go through all this hard work? Why make the effort? Because self-acceptance changes everything. It defeats the hold Satan has over us. It releases the shackles that hold us back and keep us bound, allowing us to live in freedom. We are not our sin. We are not our abuse. We are not our hardships and losses. We are a precious child of God who has an important contribution to make. Self-acceptance sets us free to finally make that contribution, to live as the person we were created to be. The victim identity is tormenting to our mind and soul. The relentless lies pull us down. Self-acceptance lifts us up. It allows us to live in peace. It allows us to enjoy the person we really are. It allows us to stop hiding and start living. We can make peace with ourselves and put an end to the inner war. Self-acceptance involves hard work. And it involves courage. It takes courage to walk in humility. But the joy and peace it brings makes it all worth it. 
All scriptures from the New King James Version unless otherwise stated. Thank you for listening to Cindy Sherwood's podcast. Visit us on the web at hishealinglight.org to learn more about our ministry. Please consider rating us on iTunes or your other favorite music app. God's best to you today.